Courts will come to order. Judge Jason Carl presiding. The defendants will stand. Mr. Martin Harder, Mr. Martin Odo, Odona, O, O, Mr. Martin O'Donut. You are hereby charged that throughout the years 2020 and 2021, you did both with premeditation and callousness aforethought, say very unkind things about former Dungeoneers who appeared on the televised game show Nightmare as part of a grossly undistinguished podcast you title Temporal Discussion. How do you plead? Mr. H is guilty, Your Honour. Guilty, I tell you. Guilty, I say. Martin Harder is an absolute brute of a critic and as insensitive as Cedric the Mad Monk on crack. Guilty. I say again, he's guilty. And you should send him down for the maximum possible duration with no hope for parole. You really mustn't say things like that. And why not? Well, for one thing, because you're supposed to be the counsel for the defence. Am I? Oh, dragon's breath, yeah. For another, you're also defending yourself as well as him. If he is found guilty, then so are you. Who are you? Clerk of the court. I organise the trial, and my name is Anthony Haig, an ex-dungeoneer. Ah, um, that thing we said about you and your team being about as intelligent as a fish in a hedge. I, I promise that we didn't really say that. It was, uh, it was the, uh, the way the podcast was edited. Oh, doesn't Martin Harder also edit the podcast? Well, yes. Stop helping me, please. Well, stop. And I'll give you another reason you shouldn't have said I was guilty. We agreed to use the right to remain silent. We did. We agreed to joint defence based around a psychological strategy of maintaining complete inscrutability. We did. And of intelligent counter-questioning of any attempts to cross-examine us. We did. And we both agreed we stick together and speak up for each other, no matter what. Well, yeah, but obviously I made that bit up. Good to know I can rely on you, Mr O. Thanks. Damn it, it's all your fault we're in this mess. How is it my fault? It's your podcast. Yes, but I'm not the one who said Julian Smith sounds... Jason. I'm not the one who said that Jason sounds about as heroic as C-3PO on a tricycle. Or that Anthony Hay walked so slowly that if he took part in the 2020 Olympics, he'd receive a bronze medal with the finish line to specify the age he started the race in. Or that Stuart Leveland is so monotonous, he's the only man on earth who goes to Andy Murray for rhetoric lessons. You promised you'd cut those lines out. It's not my fault you left them in. I was so busy cutting about 97% of your other lines reminiscing about your decade of hardcore drug abuse. Is it any wonder I managed to miss a few? We'll be behind bars for eight years, thanks to you. Oh, come on, Mr. H, relax, we'll be fine. Any reasonably impartial jury will let us off with our warning. Well, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Speaking of the jury, who's the foreman? Good question. Who is the foreman of the jury? I am the foreman of the jury, my lud. Oh, good. And you are? Stuart Leatherland. Ex-Dungeoneer and subject of cruel criticisms about the intonation of my speeches by the presenters of the Temporal Discussion podcast. Oh, goblin horns! Hello, Jason. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Mr H, totally indifferent to meet you again. Yes, as always. <laughs>
We do this to each other all afternoon, Jason. You're gonna... <laughs> I can imagine, having listened to your podcast, I can kind of assess oh, how your that, relationship goes. That's only a sprinkling. Mm. Our, these recordings <laughs> okay. go on for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're actually worse than on the podcast, are you? I deliberately get it as bad as possible to make sure that he has a really tough time editing it. It's uh... yeah, Nice, yeah. I bet he loves you for that. Anthony's not going to be able to actually join us then. I've just, I've just seen the message on No, no, he's saying... He's saying he's going to be able to join us, but he's going to be outside. Oh, that's all right. And, and I'm right in thinking Anthony's the Anthony's a dungeoneer, isn't he? Yes. And Stuart Leveland as well. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, Stuart won't be joining us. He'll be sending his lines in separately. Okay, that's good because I would have been waiting for them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stuart. He actually came onto the podcast, so um, I, I think I listened to it. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a while back, wasn't it? Yeah. I still laugh about his Lilith story though. <laughs> It's the bit about the white trousers that I can't stop giggling about. <laughs> yeah. I, I rewatched the um the um the raw footage of that um of that podcast, the full two hours of it, a couple of mm. a few days ago, and it, it just even though I knew what he was about to say, I still couldn't stop bursting out laughing. So as soon as he mentioned how he crapped himself when Lilith suddenly appeared right behind him. <laughs> 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 Well, yeah. I mean, I remember what that was like with the automator behind me. That that was yeah. genuinely yeah. frightening. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that was, but um, yeah, that, that genuinely made you go. Ah, he did get it's literally there. He did get very close to you at one point, didn't he? He was. He was. He was right within about six. Well, within about two inches. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. I saw the way you were you were turning this way and that. I thought, hey, ooh, he's, he's really scared of that. But it's just. Uh... I was genuinely frightened of it, and they used that to their advantage totally, mm. um, because they realised that it, it got good TV from that first room when it happened, and they put it in all the other rooms on that level because they knew it was good yeah. because it was genuinely scaring me. Yeah. It was the only thing that did. It's relentless as well. When it's the scary, this yeah. is magnified when it's relentlessly scary. So that's that's good. That's good I think noise. the difference was the difference was because. Most of the sound effects are put on in post-production, but the sound effect of the automaton, that sort of whirring and cog noise, yeah. that was actually played live as it was recorded so I could hear it. Mm. So once I heard the oh, noise, right. I knew it was coming. Oh, but right. that made it worse. Yeah. And I remember Tim Tim came into the green room after the Wellway room and said, don't worry, it's not following you to level two. And I think that was kind of like um, make me relax because I was like really quite wound up by it. Ooh, yeah. um, wow. It was genuinely frightening. It did not, appear not to at all touch not, you at one point. Oh, it did touch me. He touched me mm. several times. Um, but yeah, that was that was crap uh, crap directions in a in a moment of oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> what do we do? And and sort of like your brain goes blank in that moment because it's mm. you know, your kids at the end of the day, it's not like an adult. And the sort of reality of it sort of like hit home there, whereas you totally lost in the illusion as opposed to remembering you're in a TV show. Yeah. Um mm. And so that makes your brain sort of act in a different way. And it generally was frightening, but it's the only part that did scare me. Oh, here comes Anthony, right? Yep. Hi, Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Can you hear us? Hello. Yes, I can hear you now. Awesome. Okay. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> hello, hello. I've got Nightmare Teacher. Uh, hey! Teacher on hey! Oh, <laughs> I'm letting the side down to them. I'm Ghostbusters. Well, well, my one wouldn't fit me because they're the ones from when I was a kid. So I don't think I'm trying to get them on. In, in 1988, it was Ghostbusters and, and then Nightmare. So um, mm. it's it's close enough. Uh, yeah. I've got the original sweatshirt they gave me somewhere. Let's start off the, with the introduction, I suppose. 
Welcome, Watchers of Illusion, to Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode Nightmare Retrospective podcast. I'm Martin Harder, and I'm joined today by Martin O'Doni, Jason Carl, and Anthony Hay, former Dungeoneers. Jason Carl, as you know, is an actor, presenter, and creative producer, and Anthony Hay is an ambassador for the mental health charity Safe in Our World. Safe and I will do a lot of good work at the moment, and with that in mind, we are going to be donating an entire month of Patreon money to the charity. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Thank you very much. Don't get too excited. It's about 25 <laughs> quid. I, it all helps. It really does. So, yeah. Um, so we didn't actually think of so any particular questions to ask you. We <laughs> <laughs> were so focused on that's the... We so well, thanks for that. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> <laughs> You've both uh, listened to your episodes by now. You'll be aware that we made a few criticisms towards both of you. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to address that we we spoke about? Um, start with Anthony. My main thing is, yeah, I can't read. Clearly. Oh. <laughs> I clearly can't read. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all good fun. It, it's, it was an amazing experience. And yes, I realised that as soon as we had finished... For the rest of my life, people are going to take the mickey. So <laughs> that's fine. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get further, but um, mm. yeah, we were just terrible. Um, there were technical issues. I had um, an earpiece that kept falling out and um, the hat didn't fit very well. So it didn't keep the earpiece in place. So I was forever trying to hear what they were saying and yeah mm. that didn't help so I was probably concentrating more on those things than actually what I was meant to be doing so you didn't really <laughs> get into it because of that, that no awesome. it was it was an amazingly terrifying experience from the moment that I got there the team that do the program didn't like what I was wearing despite having agreed it days before and you know we'd we tested it and it was all fine um, they decided, oh, no, I don't like your outfit. So I was whisked away as soon as we got there to um, go and change my outfit in the wardrobe. And it, it was it took forever to find the right outfit that fit me because I was only a little boy. And then by the time I came back out, the whole team had met everyone. They'd met the cast, the crew, everyone. They were all quite happy and relaxed. And it was literally, oh, you're back. Right. If you just step through that doorway and say, where am I? And uh, that was as much introduction as I got so, wow, so you, didn't, my, you didn't even really get to meet Treyguard or anything before you started filming not before I started filming no that it wow. was literally as I stepped through that doorway that was the first time I'd even seen it. I think that is genuinely <laughs> a shame actually because I think um that's one of the things that helps Dungeoneers get into it is that they get the um the opening intro from Treyguards to, to help them sort of, mm. sort of get involved so that might explain mm. why you, you did there were times why when, I look so terrified partly terrified <laughs> but also just you did, there were times when 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 watching you, you didn't really seem to be into it at all um mm, yeah that, that probably explains it you didn't you didn't have trade guard there to sort of sort of make you feel like I, I've arrived no I mean the rest of the team team had had you know a lot of rapport with him and that that was fine I didn't really get to see him at all mm, that's a shame um, until Mm. It was that, that was probably the first day. The second day, I got to see him um, a bit more, um, and then the third day, it was we kind of finished uh, very quickly on the third day. And um, yeah, well, I got probably a good hour or so with him um, talking and what have you, which was really nice. I mean, he, he's the nicest guy in the world. He really is. <laughs> 
I think I, so is Lily. I think, even I, think though she got I, I think I'm the only person in this um in, in this podcast who's never actually met Hugo in person. So uh, actually, so, I haven't. Oh, oh no, you have. Right. Okay, I have actually. Okay. Yes, I met him at Nightmare Live a few years ago. I forgot about that. He just said that to wind me up. He just said that to wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talk to him quite regularly, so there you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be one of those podcasts. Is it? Oh, right. Okay. I, I talk to Trey Guard. <laughs> no, no, I talk. I, talk I to his... one nightmare. I, I talk. To be fair, I talk to his. I talk to his partner Jackie, and um, sometimes have a word with Hugo. And my experience is quite different to Anthony's because um, we met Trey Guard, not Hugo, um, for quite a long time before we actually started the game. Um, he never came out of character, he was always Treyguard. We weren't introduced to him as Hugo and he didn't speak to us as Hugo until after it was recorded. But I had yeah. a similar similar issue with wardrobe in that my trousers, when they, because they do a test room, but which they don't use in the broadcast with each Dungeoneer, so that you play a room that is not recorded and it's just for the camera, uh, for the director to understand the dynamic of the team and for you to get used to it. Yeah. So during this, my legs were invisible, apparently, um, because my trousers were, <laughs> My trousers were sort of greyish and they were too close to blue. So after they did that, they whisked me off to wardrobe and uh, subsequently gave me a horrifically horrible pair of bright red trousers, which are not my, were not mine. Um, yeah, my, and so, so that my legs my weren't invisible. My outfit wasn't mine. <laughs> my shirt was mine. My shirt was mine, but um, maybe I should admit to that. We are learning so much about how important mm. trousers are um, in season yeah, two of Nightmare. Yeah. It seems to, yeah. to be a running theme. Yes, we've got Stuart Levels. Yeah. With the white trousers and the um unfortunate uh moment he <laughs> jumped. Uh so the, um we got uh we've got uh, Julian Smith, Jason Carl with the uh, red trousers that are definitely not his. And we've also found that Anthony also was wearing trousers that were not his. It's um I, I hope you checked that there wasn't anything inside them left behind by a previous dungeoneer before you put them on. Literally, it was the only pair of trousers that fitted. We went through I don't know how many pairs of trousers. I was very skinny. <laughs> Mr. Adoni, I'm gonna throw you under the bus a little bit for this one. Um, because uh Jason um, as you'll know, Martin actually made quite a serious uh, allegation against one of your teammates for cheating during the uh, Medusa mm, chamber. I think that I think it's true, though. I think she did. I agree with you. I agree with you, Martin O'Doni. Um, yeah, you can see it. Yeah, she's, she's, she's it looking at the screen know. all the time. She's, she's supposed to. She was doing it a bit like that, a bit like that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, it obviously didn't get noticed because I don't remember <laughs> us being told off for it. And I think if they had noticed, they'd have made us do it again because they, they were like that. Yeah, Ma Mary mm. was was just blatantly. She wasn't even bothering with the hand. She was just she was just sitting there, sidling her eyes um, in the direction of the screen. She was really fixated by what was going on. So good luck to her in many ways. It's, it's, mm. it's clearly a sign that she's <laughs> really know, getting into it, but. I have a recollection about that room that will be something you might be interested in. The shield was a papier-mâché. It was it was it was very big, um, but the back of it was plastic, the bit that you held, and it was heavy. And I had to hold it up like this against the Medusa for well, I don't know, two or three minutes. But I'm, and it bloody hurt. Yeah. You know, I don't think they, I don't think anyone has thought about the fact that this is a very small child with very little muscle trying to hold this really heavy. I mean, yeah. it would be better if I could have it in two hands. And I can remember Traegard at one point saying. Hold the shield up, hold the shield up. So he must have been told to say that by Tim through his earpiece. But I was like, I'm trying, I'm holding the bloody thing up. I can't hold it anymore. <laughs> 
So what did you have to do? Did you have to sort of then get your other hand sneakily underneath it to sort of prop it up and <laughs> make sure? I just, I think I, I think I just summoned inner strength from somewhere, you know. <laughs> you drew upon the magic of the dungeons to sort of... Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That, that was it. The inner life force yes. is seeing me through. <laughs> you, you went into the, into the scene with... Um, green life force and came out of it red and uh, with half the skull yeah and I, I remember being relieved when they said stop because that's what they actually shouted they didn't say cut um the floor right. manager said stop actually i've got something for you guys that you missed on your podcast all right oh i can't tell you the episode number but in series two you can hear the floor manager say stop it was not edited out oh. it is one of mildred's crone room it's not my adventure and I can't remember which adventure it is, but it's there. And as the, you start to hear the whoosh noise for the door, going through the door, you hear you hear um, the floor manager saying, stop, and you can hear it clearly. That's the floor oh, manager saying stop. I, I, I did hear that. I thought it was one of the advisors or something. No, oh, that, is oh, the, yeah. that is the floor manager saying stop, which means that's like saying cut. Oh, mm. right, okay, we'll look out yeah, for that. They didn't, they didn't edit it out. I thought I must mention that to you. Okay, we missed that, yeah, well done. That's a to us for missing it. Slap of the hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't know that that's what they said. Well, but they said it's, I think Tom Hunt was the floor Tom manager. Hunt, yeah, yeah. But I, I yeah. feel kind of ashamed of it though because every time um, somebody's watch was beeping, we were pointing it out um, during, yes, <laughs> during yeah. our commentaries. If, if we could, if we could notice that, we should hear somebody yelling "Stop!" At the top of the. Well, the reason they said stop was twofold. One, it was because if you didn't stop, you'd literally walk straight into the wall, and they were worried about that yeah. because the helmet yeah. of justice was paper mache yeah. on a on a cycle helmet mm. so it would get smashed if you bashed it too hard but two so you can actually just walk in the wrong place um you know particularly on the ones where there's a raised stage we actually got told off for walking too near to the wall at one one of our rooms can't remember which one it which one it was but they were directing me i had to listen for folly's laughter at the doorway oh yeah and mm. they were directing me towards the doors and Thank i had you. to lean over and then they're like, oh, yeah, that's one forward. And I literally, my toes were touching the wall. I couldn't move forward mm. anymore. And it's like, what do I do? <laughs> I can't. It's spoiling the, it's a, it's like, spoiling yeah, the illusion, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and when we finished that room, they were like, yeah, you need to make sure you're a good two foot away from the wall before you move forward. Um, mm. And I was like, well, I'm only going where they're directing me. I'm, I, I'm generally feeling <laughs> feeling really bad for you here because, again, that's the sort of thing that is really going to take you out of what you're doing, because mm. it, because you're thinking about not spoiling the effect on the screen rather than actually being part of the effect on the screen. Well, the so, worst one was the worst one was going down the well for that. That was a nightmare. Oh, I literally, never, had, never did that. They didn't do it very often, apparently, but they had a slide with a yeah. fake top of the well built on a slide on a big angle. Yeah. And it yeah. was filmed separately. And then this camera angle was from the top. And then you had to slide down this slide. But it was so, it was su such a gentle slide that you couldn't bloody slide down it. So you like pushed <laughs> yourself down it, trying to make a sort of smooth. And then they used Bruce this smooth movement. Down. They zoomed it up to, to, to make an effect like you're going down the well. But it was bloody hard to film. And you had to climb up a ladder to get to it. And then nowadays, you wouldn't be allowed to do that with a, a child with a helmet on, yeah. um, climbing up a ladder <laughs> and then getting on a slide. A child unable to see. A child unable to exactly. see with a helmet on. I mean, yes. So yes. many health exactly. and issues. Yeah, yes. yeah. But it was good fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it, really. You're saying you're having to pull yourself oh, down was. the slide. <laughs> How much time did you have in the hotel before you actually started filming? Two days. Two days. Did you use... Three. 
that time to direct you around the the uh, oh hotel god we did that every 10 seconds we we, yeah. we were at the yeah we did all day we did it all night every night from the the, yep. the night we arrived then we had two full days in the hotel waiting and then we had we had uh, five days recording and so we were there over a weekend too so we were away for like 10 days or something it was a long time but yeah in the evenings we used to um walk around the hotel uh, grounds and they would direct me around the picnic benches or whatever was there yeah. with a yeah. with some old yeah. t-shirt around my around my eyes or something like that i don't remember what it was but yeah we did we did that a lot yeah where am i you're standing in front of I'm, a picnic I'm glad bench we weren't the only ones yes yes <laughs> i have a question for anthony yeah who did jack kill <laughs> <laughs> well the giant Yay. accepted <laughs> 30 years late, but never mind. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I've got no excuse for that. <laughs> I, I do think that the red, the um, the blue and green one was quite a harsh question, though. I mean, yes, I know it now as an adult, but as a kid, I'd never heard of that. It doesn't help that um, it's one of those ones where there's actually more than one correct answer because it could also, some people say it's uh, red and green that don't go together or, or red and blue. Mm. Yeah. So it, it wasn't a fair riddle, that one, no. We were actually told at the end of our quest, um, whether this should be <laughs> sort of said, and we were actually told when we had that sort of time with Trade Guard and what have you, and, and we uh, relaxed and uh, laughed about how rubbish we were. <laughs> um, he actually said, you wouldn't really have got very far anyway. You, you wouldn't have been allowed to leave Dungeon 1 oh. because mm. the team in front of us completed the dungeon. They couldn't have too many do very well. So we were like, oh, okay. So they would have just made it quite difficult for us had we taken the right item. <laughs> so, Mr. Carl, it was all your fault that Anthony's team lost. At long last, the truth is out. Well, most things are my fault. So that, you know, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you two actually meet each other on the crossover? Like, was it is this like a reunion for you both? I don't know. Were you the team before me, Anthony? So you completed in season two, did you? Yeah. You would have been the team in front of us. It was, it was team ten, um, uh, Jason. So, okay. Uh, so we, I think we. So you were team after us. We did meet you in the green room uh, for like a minute or two. I remember possibly, not very long. Yes. Yeah, we did. Possibly. I remember being in the green room. Yeah, with the next team. But we spent <laughs> a lot of time. A, that was a horrible room, wasn't it? That green room. Well, it was the old hospitality room for when they did game shows and stuff there. I've got a load of memories about that room. Spent so much bloody time there. But uh, the team that before us, um, who was still in the game when we were called, and they must have called us a bit early because actually the team carried on for another two days filming while we were there um we spent two evenings with them that was stuart's team that was stuart levelland's team was it yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't remember i don't remember much about it other than we spent two evenings with them in the hotel and i remember one of them liked collecting um railway train numbers and um i went over to the railway with him to collect some train numbers that's a very bizarre memory but i remember doing that and thinking how boring it was <laughs> did, did you mention that if you're listening i do apologize no i was very polite yeah very polite well brought I went up along with no one else would get no one else would go with him to the railway station he wanted to collect these numbers obviously it's in not where he normally lives so i went along we mm. collected these numbers and i remember thinking okay 
bit pointless, really. But uh, well, <laughs> if it makes you happy, a, that's fine. It's a break. It's a break from the green room. So I suppose. Well, yes, 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 that's true. Yeah, forever in the green room. How much time do you reckon? Um, you, you're saying you were there for all these days. How much time was? What were we talking about? Sort of eighty percent of the time stuck in that green room, staring at the wall. Ninety. Easily 90, easily. Yeah, You know, you you might go in a room and it lasts 30 seconds and then it'd be two hours, three hours before the next one. Two or three hours, yeah. Ouch. It does sound very unromantic when you, when you, when you realise just how much time you're actually, you're actually sitting there doing nothing. They did their best with this. I mean, um, they, they had computers and television and videos in those days you had videos. Um, So there was stuff for us to do, but um other than that you know that that was it i mean I, going to the toilet used to be quite fun because you could walk down the corridor that you weren't meant to see anything so everybody yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody went to the toilet lots and lots of times because it was something to do so you walk down the main corridor of the um the production rooms and occasionally you might glimpse somebody in the makeup room as you walk past which you weren't meant to see or whatever so yeah going to the toilet became very exciting (laughs) (laughs) i remember exactly the same thing yeah do you yeah 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 just thinking it's a new nightmare challenge the uh, the corridor of toilets you have to be able to get without being caught by the producer It was the only chance you got to do, to sort of get out of the room, and you were. I think you were supposed to wait until they asked you and took you, but you didn't. You just went because they were so busy. Yeah. They weren't in the green room. They just left us to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, we had our adult chaperone there. So I suppose, from the production team's point of view, they would think the chaperone would sort of make sure we weren't doing anything we weren't meant to be doing. But she was as bored as we were, so she was up for going to the toilet herself. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you, you four on occasions were sitting sitting in the green room patiently behaving yourselves and the chaperone would wander off and then try and make excuses to the producer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because the chaperone That's was it. one of our mums. So the chaperone wasn't supplied uh, by the studio. It had to be one of the parents from the team. So it was Vaughan's mum that came with us. Oh, right. And uh, yeah, she was, she was as bored mine as we were. Was, mine was my dad. And to this day, I do not know how we managed to get a week off work with like one day's notice we we literally got a phone call um i was at home on my own my parents were at my grand's house doing some gardening and i got a phone call and it was producer saying right we need you to come up tomorrow um is that okay with you and i'm like mm-hmm. um mm, of course right, i don't know <laughs> well can you put your parents on yeah they're not here oh okay well we'll we'll try another team no 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 don't worry can you call me back in like half an hour and and I'll have an answer for you? <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll give you <laughs> half an hour. I belted it to my grand's house and grabbed my dad because <laughs> we didn't have mobile phones then. Oh, of course. Um, and my grand didn't actually have a phone either. Um, and zoomed back to the house and and he had a conversation with them. And yeah, we were in the car that the next morning. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I suppose it was quite... It was quite a prestigious thing. You probably just had to say, I've got to take a week off work. My kid's going to be on Nightmare. Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> I, if I was the boss in that scenario, I'd say, on you go, mate. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation. If it's Nightmare... <laughs> You know, if, if it was something like um, the royal wedding and you need to commentate on it, forget it. But if you're appearing on Nightmare, <laughs> you go for it, mate. In fact, here, have a race, have a race. <laughs> Ours was the same. And the, the phone call was on the, and we left in the next morning on the train and we very nearly didn't get to do it because um, the deal was you had to be available at 24 hours notice. It said that in the letter and yeah. right. unbeknownst to the rest of us, Becca had gone on holiday 
and Becca oh. when back when we found Becca's house um oh they've gone on holiday we're like what and thank god Becca's um auntie who was looking after their house managed to get hold of them on their holiday in Wales and say you have to come home now because in the morning <laughs> you're going to Norwich thank goodness they didn't go on holiday to Australia or something well yeah, yeah. thank goodness they did because if she said I can't get home in time or I can't get home tomorrow then we wouldn't have been able to go it would have been next team and you go to the bottom of the list that was the deal mm. when they phoned you if you couldn't go you went to the bottom of the list and then you yeah. might get a chance but probably not yeah. so we were very lucky that that happened Wow, yeah. I, I didn't realize how Brinkman this sort of thing could be. I never realized, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that, that's just, some of that has actually quite phased me. <laughs> really, I, yeah, I, 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 I'd always thought it was more better organized than that. It's, it's, well, it's not, it can't be if you think about it because they yeah. don't know how they don't know when the team's going to die, yeah. so they no. know when they're going to be in a, in a losing status where they're going to die in five rooms' time, which is a you know, perhaps a day's filming. Mm. Um, so they have to make a judgment call when to get the next team into oh, the yeah. studio. And as as with us, I'm, I'm guessing this, but having worked in TV most of my life, it makes sense that possibly they were, there was a mistake they were going to make and then didn't. And that's why they carried on a bit longer and uh, we had to wait two days. Because I don't think that was normal for us to wait two days. And there would have been no reason for us to get there immediately in order to, to wait two days. So I think something changed, something happened that they weren't expecting with the team before us. I don't know what, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm making an assumption there, but it makes sense. We had a similar thing because the team before us completed it um, and we were called in to go. Um, so we got there and we had five days waiting for them to mess up. Literally every day we would have to contact the, or the, the um, studio would contact us um, and have, have a chat with my dad. And we would be given a time of day where we could be released to go and do something. Mm. Um, and that was normally like two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, once it got to two o'clock in the afternoon, if they died, then it wouldn't make any difference. They wouldn't start us that day, they would start the next day. Um, so yeah, it was kind of quarantined in a hotel, blindfolded, being guided round, and then your friends suddenly <laughs> disappear and you find you stood there doing nothing, thinking, where the hell are they <laughs> So Jason, how does it feel to know that Anthony was basically there waiting for you to fuck up? <laughs> well, I'm more bothered that they obviously got him there so early, thinking we were going to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it's insulting, isn't it? So the, the team before you, uh, Jason, was um, they were the ones who were notoriously given the power spell by Mogdred. So they were the ones who agreed to join the dark side of the force, so to speak. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's probably why they thought this team ain't going to be around much longer. Um, yes. Because they're probably going to cast that spell as soon as they, as soon as they can, and it will cause them to blow up or something. So, <laughs> so that's why. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That would yeah. be why. That be why there was a longer delay than you expected. Yeah. yeah was it was um was this a feature for for you as well, Jason? Um, you, you're practicing dungeoneering, and then they quietly sneak off while you're blindfolded. Did they do that? Did you? No, that didn't. No, they wouldn't have dared. Trust me. <laughs> oh, uh, <that's> It really would not have been worth the fallout. Uh, no. Was it always was it always you that was going to be the dungeoneer, or did you have a discussion about it? Or um, so what happened was, I'm the one that applied. I was the one that was the fan of the show. I was the one that sort of like yeah. got commandeered them into doing it. 
and we wrongly assumed that we could choose who was the dungeoneer and that's that's not the case but we did we thought it would be and it was me and i did i was the dungeoneer in the audition um yeah and then when we got there they said oh no tim will choose who's the dungeoneer and tim came to the hotel to meet us on the day we arrived because we didn't go to the studio on the first day he came to meet us in the evening and we and he had a drink with the chaperone and stuff and he brought us nightmare sweatshirts and said oh so who's going to be the dungeoneer and we said oh it's me and he said well oh um it's actually me that decides we were like oh okay whatever um but then we said we'd practice with me doing it and he said that's fine he was happy with that so he didn't change it but it was very clear that if he wasn't happy with it he would have changed it and and why shouldn't he it's his show he can do what he likes um but well it wasn't clear to us that we couldn't choose ourselves until after we'd already done it (laughs) that's interesting because I don't don't remember him seeing him at all before we actually started. I think the first time I met Tim was actually after the first day. Oh, all right. No, he came to the hotel. He came, we were at the Lord Nelson was, Hotel in Norwich. Yeah, and he yeah, came yeah. to the hotel on the first day that we arrived in the evening, and then we went, we met him the next day in the afternoon when we went to the studio, and and we talked to him in there, and that was when all the palaver with my trousers yeah, would yeah. start. They were saying, "Oh, it might be. We have to do this test with your trousers." Blah blah blah. Anyway, they didn't do the test with the trousers until we actually started the game, which mm. was the day after. Um, but no, we met Tim twice at least before we actually played the game. I'm wondering if the criteria that Tim uses um, for deciding who should be the dungeoneer is actually integrally involved with who, who looks best in trousers of a certain. It might, be, it might simply be who's, who's the ugliest one. We want to cover up their face. You know, it could be a simple. <laughs> I was, I, I did think of that, and I thought I better not say it. Not in front of <laughs> not with not with two dungeoneers actually on the conversation. But, but, I, I, it would be interesting to know what criteria he did. He did actually use though. Um, maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, thinking about it from a producer's point of view now, I mean, it would probably be more problematic to change it if there's a team of kids and one of them's practiced and thinks they're the dungeoneer, and then to change it, that would probably cause more trouble than it's worth. So you probably just go along yeah. with it. You know, I would, in, as a producer now, in that sort of scenario, having done loads of kids' TV stuff, it, it, I, I wouldn't change it in that situation. It wouldn't be worth your time, unless it was a real issue. You know, that one of them's partially sighted or uh, one's diction's really bad or whatever. But um, it's probably easier to go along with that. Yeah. I'd, have thought, yeah. I'd have thought partially sighted wouldn't really be a great issue if, if it's a dungeoneer anyway. <laughs> you a... say that. You say that. You can see a lot more than you imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, can, I've, yes. I've, I've worn the helmet myself, actually. I, I did see yeah. that the, the field is a lot further forward than you might think. It's yeah. almost the whole room. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's not it, it's not as well. It wasn't as well made as as they'd hoped when um when, when they put it together. I think it's uh, the sight line actually goes down almost perfect diagonal. Um, You just have to put your head up very, very slightly and you can see all the way to the oh, corner. They warned you about that, and they mm. said if you put your head back, we could we watch see you doing it. We'll put a blindfold on underneath. Yeah, so they warned they warned us about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a mini nightmare documentary um, released by Challenge in two thousand three, I think it was, where Tim Charb mentions that they they sometimes had to put blindfolds on underneath. For, for oh, there you are. So they obviously actually they actually did <laughs> they it. Actually then. Did it didn't apparently. To was... me, but they, they didn't do it to me. But yeah. <laughs> That's because you're a well-behaved boy. I maybe could have done with one to keep my earpiece in. 
with a bit of a bit of gaffer tape or something on there. Yeah. <laughs> I kept telling them, saying, "Oh, my earpiece literally pops out and it's just sat on the side of the helmet." They were just like, "Oh well, don't worry, it's fine." They're adult earpieces. I mean, in the eighties, I don't think you would even have ever heard of an earpiece for a kid. It probably would never have existed. So they were adult. They were no. big, and they were the type of earpieces that you used to use in the nineties. So it just sat on there, and if you mm. if your ear was too small, it just fall off. What they probably could have done with was um like you know uh, the the, he- the headset from a Walkman from the time because that would have probably fitted under the helmet just nicely and it would have been completely hidden by it. But you wouldn't have heard from the other ear then, and then you need to hear from the other ear because that's where all the characters are talking to you or ever. Oh right, yeah, good point, mm. good point. Yeah. yeah. So am I the only one who hasn't actually worn the helmet then? (laughs) (laughs) I win after all. (laughs) I've got a fake fake one here. It's nothing special. It's a builder's helmet with foam. The one that I've worn, um, I think it was one used in season three. It's it's actually made of a kind of leather fabric um, rather Mm. than papier-mâché. I think they they used it because they thought it would be a bit more durable than, than the original. You sometimes see the original in in when in haunting scenes in in episode, in season three where there's a pile of bones on the floor where a dungeoneer has died and there's a, a the first <laughs> helmet's been left next to it to sort of enhance the illusion. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's um it smelt a bit like horse leather. I remember from wearing it the um the one that I wore. I remember what it was. It was made on a cycle helmet, so it was adjustable slightly. Yeah. And it was foam. I it was literally. Was helmet. It could have been a cycling helmet. I don't I know. It was some kind helmet. of. It there's, did have a bit of adjustment. Yeah, there's something inside it, definitely. There's some strapping inside yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's a strap. Cycle helmet. And then yeah. it was made of thin foam, about a centimetre of actual foam, and then paper mache. So, it, and, and the reason mache. the reason it was like that was because it didn't weigh anything. Mm. Because it couldn't be heavy, because it's going on a kid's head for a week or yeah. whatever. I, w- I will say this, Mr. H, in terms of the smell, you really are actually doing all right not wearing yeah. it, okay? Because it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> well, terribly I, pleasant. <laughs> has to be I, think I, I think I would have struggled anyway, because yeah. um, some of you will know, I'm, uh, a couple of years ago, I actually made a papier-mâché helmet of justice for a friend. Mm. I tried to make one for myself, but it involved blowing up a, a balloon for the... Uh, for the base and i couldn't blow up a balloon big enough to get over <laughs> it's, uh, i'm sorry that's the, the, the ego jokes there are too easy too easy <laughs> i have an interesting question um for jason knowing now that anthony at the end of his quest was basically told that he wasn't going to get very far anyway do you feel that you were in any way being geared up to be a winner um no, and I'll tell you why. Because there were various points after rooms where it was very obvious from Tim coming storming into the green room and telling us what we'd done wrong and then clearly very annoyed mm. about it. If it was pre-decided, you're going to fail, you're going to win. I don't believe that for a second. I really don't. Because mm. what, what it was, it was an organic adventure. And yes, there was a script to a degree. There was, a, there was what Tim calls a scenario. So there was a plan of what would happen. And he did it in full adventures to start with. And then he did it by levels instead. And if if it was as simple as they're going to die, then it would be written that way. It would actually be quicker to make. 
Um, and th that yeah. was the problem with Nightmare. It took so long to make because of all of this, because it was about what Tim thought should happen next and, and judgments about various things. So what time of day is it? Do we want to film another room so we get some in the can or shall we start tomorrow? If we're going to film another room, do we kill him in the morning? We can't do that because the next team isn't arriving till two o'clock. And all of those other different scenarios in the production of Nightmare, which would have an effect on the adventure. So there will be some at, there will be some level of that in it. But if it was a simple fact that it was one's being geared up to win and one isn't, no, I don't believe that for a second from no, my experience. I, I don't think it was. I think they were literally, when they say that we wouldn't have got far, they were just going to put a, uh, a floor plan in that was going to be quite complicated for me to traverse or something like that. So the likelihood would be uh, there would be a mistake made. From another point, from the production's point of view, how it was filmed, you know, each team is a separate set of footage it's not yeah. it's not decided at that time which which uh, rooms are in which episode obviously there's the order of the rooms but they don't mm. know exactly where the episode finishes because it depends mm. on the edit so they could potentially take a team's adventure and move it to the end of the series so the fact that he was the one after a winner doesn't i don't see why that would mean he couldn't win it doesn't really make no. sense that's true in terms of that's edit that's perfectly mm. true yeah it, it perfectly possible just just put it put anthony's in later yeah Maybe, maybe yeah. they just said that to make us feel better. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. That would be a very, very cruel um, bedside match. Yeah. <laughs> don't oh, it's worry. Okay. Don't, don't it worry about it. We were setting you up yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We were, we were setting you up to fail all along. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't want to go to school ever again if, if that had been me. You mean you cheated me? <laughs> I suppose you, you've got to say in, in, when you're making these things, the producer is God, isn't he? So in some ways, he does yes. have to decide these mm. things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. It, yes. It wouldn't work if you don't. And, and despite away. despite sort of seeing it from the other side, of, as me and Anthony have from being part of making it, mm. Martin Odoni, um, it didn't spoil the magic whatsoever because you've got to remember no, these, no. Are 12, these are twelve year old kids. Yeah who yeah. don't know anything about television production. So everything they're seeing, they don't really understand it. And it doesn't really matter. All that matters is the room and the adventure. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and for, those, for those time that you're in those rooms, it's as real as it can be. And so yes, just, definitely. It, it, didn't, it no. didn't sort of make it less magical or less mm. anything because it was a, the formula of, of a television programme being made and the requirements of what yeah. that means. And that's perfectly true for the audience as well, because you've got to remember mm -hmm. that at that stage, most of us were 12, 13 or so, and we didn't really understand these things either. So the magic still works. Mm -hmm. We spot yeah. the flaws a lot more easily now that we're adults, um, but back yes. then you didn't. I think it was almost like there were two adventures going on. So you had the one that we were part of with Nightmare and, and doing the rooms and things. But as soon as that had finished, it was like, wow, look at this world that we're stood in and all these cameras and people and computers and mm. stuff going on. It was fascinating, really was. You were, you were sort of in a, in a world of sword and sorcery on the one hand and in a world of science fiction on the other almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it really yeah. was, yeah. really yeah. was. Yeah. That's a fascinating way of looking at it, actually, yeah. I remember him showing us some of the, the computer sort of systems where between rooms they would have to sort of load in the next room and then line everything up by hand so that corners were the corners mm. and that things fitted correctly. 
and they were showing us how they did that at one point. Um, and it was just really fascinating. I remember I got to hold the catacomb bite model. Oh, I'm genuinely jealous. The catacomb bite has always been my favourite nightmare monster. Um, I, yeah, I, it was too. one of the things that really hooked me into the programme early on. It was so nightmare. It wasn't derived. It, it wasn't taken from Arthurian legend. It was it was something that really belonged in the world of nightmare exclusively. Anthony, your background is changing. Are you questing through the, um, the forest of... <laughs> Or something. <laughs> I was getting bothered by some flies. Oh, right. so I thought okay. I knew. It must be the smell from the helmet. This is a guy who's quested through dungeons, taken on Vikings and catacomb bites. A bunch of flies are bothering him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, are they making are they making the buzzing noise that the uh... <laughs> <laughs> the humbugs <laughs> you didn't know so it could, they couldn't have been bothering yeah. with the mic so that's fine <laughs> uh, so yeah speaking of it anthony an empty jar of humbugs yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know, really know um why we took that i kind of at that point because that was at the, that point my earpiece hmm. was almost fully out all right so okay. i could only just hear what they were saying and I was concentrating so much, and it wasn't till I was holding the, the jar of mm. humbugs that I was like, "This is an empty jar. Should I be? Should I question this? Oh. It's an empty jar." And I was like, oh, "I, I don't know. I've walked mm. away from the table now. Um, I don't know. I'll just carry on because I didn't didn't really want to cause <laughs> an upset." Or <laughs> I was like, "Oh, um, uh, I don't really. Yeah." So I think it's just it, it kind of depends on which character you interact with next because you you were unlucky enough to get Lilith, yeah, um, who's no fool. But if you'd got say Olaf, you probably could have used the empty jar of humbugs and convinced him it had humbugs in it. Yes, yes, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there you go. Yeah, because somebody did use hum there was the humbugs were used in another adventure and it was an empty yes. jar. And when they opened it, it was like the sound of bees. <sighs> Yeah, it was again. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was Stuart again. I remember that. that was shortly before Stuart was killed. Yeah. But yeah, um, it, it just opens the jar, and uh, well, actually, what no, it gives the jar to Olaf, um, to telling him it's honey. Uh, Olaf opens it, um, and yeah, then and the, bee, the bees come in and start stinging bees him. Come. Yeah, the um, the humbug one. I think it was the troll. Um, uh, yes. They open the jar, and the mm. troll um, gets stung. I mean, that, that was yeah. It. It's the same thing though <laughs> yeah so jason your your experience with the bottle did that cause any trust issues with Treyguard after that that well not Treyguard, no but that wasn't fair you know as from a from the point of view of a producer that was not fair i don't think no because we were not given a clue not to take it and we were not given a clue to take it but having watched a whole series at Season of Nightmare, what do you do when you find a clue? You take mm, it. Yeah. There was you only one, I, I so you take it. I would go, for, yeah, I would go further than that. I would say Treyguard was very clearly giving you a clue to take it. He yeah, was, they wanted us pushing, to take it. He was pushing they wanted us to take it. it. Yeah. He was pushing you. And then in the next room, you you had to, they, you know, there was no way we could avoid opening it. It was like, you know, almost Trego was pulling it out of my hand and ripping it open for me. It was that, <laughs> that desperate. Um, we noticed that. So that we noticed that. That, mm. that was what was going to happen, full stop, they decided. Yeah. Um, so, so then you've got to say, I guess, so is it fair that the second half of that level or most of that level was sort of predetermined to a large degree? 
is that fair on other teams? I don't know. I don't think you should really judge it against other teams because all adventures are different and you could probably pick every single adventure apart and say things and certain things are fair and certain things aren't. So you've only got to look at whether we whether we were whether we made enough right decisions to be eligible to win. And they obviously decided at the time that we were. Having said that, it was bloody terrifying, you know, because I'm like in this room and they're saying, put it down, destructor, whatever, get out of the room. And I'm thinking, we haven't taken any bloody, bloody objects. Mm. We're going to die now. And because that's what you've seen in Nightmare, you know, I'd watched all the first series many times. And I thought, well, you're not going to get anywhere now because we've got nothing. Yeah. And um, then, of course, they had this whole other scenario pre-planned with Folly, who was waiting around the back of the flat um, with flats and pieces of wood, um, like on a stage, to, to jump out if we got two riddles or more right and then take over the rest of the adventure. But I think if we'd only got one riddle right in Merlin's room, then we would have been on the death path mm. and that would have been the end of us. On the issue of unfair, I thought it was bloody unfair that um, Merlin stormed into the Hall of Folly and started telling you off for causing all the damage when it was very clearly wasn't your decision. So I thought that was... <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I'm sort of I'm speaking more broadly in terms yeah. of adventure is it fair and it, I think they wanted to do something different with this adventure that's very clear in mm. that it sort of became almost a drama as it did in later years anyway yeah. but at that point it wasn't it was much more of an adventure role-playing game to some degree um more like a fighting fantasy game book I guess if you do this then that happens if you do that then this happens but um they were obviously wanting to do something very different with it and I think People have said, well, it's obvious that, you know, Folly showed you what to do and then you just copied it. Well, is it obvious? Because most 11 or 12 year old kids wouldn't have the bottle or the balls to say, I've got a sorcerer's stone. I mean, I, I sound pathetic enough doing it myself um, in Olaf's room. But, you know, if you hadn't have, if I hadn't have said the right thing there, then he would have clobbered us and that would have been it. Fair point, fair point. Yeah, it wasn't long afterwards that we had a uh, a team who couldn't even remember the name of the spell. Yeah, you know, if, if, I'd, <laughs> if I'd stood in that room and hadn't been somebody with a little bit of something about me, and, and certainly some Dungeoneers don't seem to have that, um, and, and hadn't said, I've got a Sorcerer's Stone, and you're stupid if you don't look at it. Yeah, my choice of words was rubbish, but I was bloody 11 or whatever age I was. Um, if I hadn't have done that with that authority, yeah. he would just have clobbered us, and that would have been the end of our adventure. So there was still a chance for us not to get any further. Yeah. You know, mm, we, had to, we had to copy it and do it, you know, well enough that it was accepted. So I don't think it's fair to say we got a totally easy ride. I think it's fair to say we got a different ride. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was sort of not quite nightmare, but it was still. Yes, it was still. Uh, yes, yeah. and I see what I you think mean. So. I, see, I see what you mean when you say it resembles the later seasons. Mm. Um, in that an awful lot more becomes predetermined in later seasons. Yes, yes. That, what that yes. says about the later seasons is um, is uh, is, uh I'll, I'll leave that to other people. <laughs> I think I think it I think it's fair to say that the later seasons became more interactive drama and less role playing adventure yeah. game. Um. And much more about what happened in the rooms rather than the rooms themselves or the mm. where you were it was almost irrelevant most of the time. But in those earlier ones, there was a very clear distinction between one, two and three levels. Number one was to wheedle out the chaff. Number two was let's do some proper testing. And if you're really good, let's, uh, get, let's really uh, challenge uh, you in three. Dis disclaimer, not all were chaff, not all were chaff. <laughs> no, I said chaff, not chav. Chaff. No, I said chaff as well. Not all <laughs> not all people who lost in level one were chaff. Right, Anthony? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. 
sorry, I'm sorry, Anthony. I do apologise. I, I, I retract my comment. It was not said with malice. Um, it was with no, it was no, with no intent of offence whatsoever. That's better. That's better. Thank you. <laughs> but but that's what I what I understood about the show was that you know, level one was to to sort of to weedle out teams that weren't going to be good television for the whole season. Right. That's what they that's what they told us. Hmm. Two was where they're really going to start to play with you in terms of challenge. And three, yeah. you're lucky yeah. if you get that far. But the elites, the elites are going to do are going to, are the only ones who are going to get beyond there. Yeah. I don't think it's fair to say they're elites just because they're up to three. I mean, some of it's down to luck, some of it's down to the parameters of making a television show and whether or not they're ready to get another team in or they aren't. Um, I think probably part of it's to do with how good you are on camera. And what, what I mean by that is whether you're chatty and interesting to watch or whether you're boring to watch and whether or whether you're sullen or, you know, some teams barely speak. Um, so there's going to be all of those things going around in any, any production team's head and thinking, is this this team might be very clever, but are they mm. making good television? And, and so you've got to weigh yeah. up all of those things. There is one thing that we did pull up on um, that I do kind of feel we were a bit unfair on um with Anthony um so I <laughs> want to one. apologize I, <laughs> one. I want to I want to apologize for so mercilessly making fun of your tone of voice mm. throughout the program oh. because you were just a kid you were a nervous yes. kid yeah and um, I, was, I was petrified especially <laughs> at that first first sort of couple of rooms it was better after that, but the first couple of rooms, I was mm. absolutely petrified. Really was. Um, I was too. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I was talking like that most of the time because my voice was breaking at the time. Mm. So I was talking very yeah. like that. I remember watching it back and thinking, bloody hell, is that what you sound like? <laughs> I think everybody. I think everybody does that yeah, right. when they first hear recordings of their own voice. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't sound anything like it does when the, when the sound waves are passing through your head. So I've got a question. For, I've got a question for Anthony, Dungeonist Dungeoneer. Yeah. I I remember getting very bored with saying where am I. I remember saying to Tom, "Can I say something else?" And he said, "Well, what like?" And I said, "Where am I now?" And he said, "Okay, if you want." And so I started saying, where am I now sometimes? Oh. And then I started saying, I also said, now where am I? Just just to make it a bit different. It, I don't know if you did the same. You sounded very slightly ratty when you said, now where am I? Well, it was just like, where am I? Where am I? I was like, yeah. can I just say something different? Like, what room something am I different. in? Or yes. something else. Yeah. I mean, I'm, he must have yeah. thought you stupid. He must have thought you stupid little child. Mm. Shut up and do as you're told. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. It felt very much, where am I? Where am I? Uh, yeah, when we got to our bomb room, we actually got, um, or I didn't get told off, but bum, the bum, one bum, of my bum, team bum. called Darren got told off because as soon as the bomb room, they sort of said action or whatever, start, um, and it came up on their screen, they could see it was the bomb room and Darren just shouted out, it's a bomb room, run! It might have just been it's bomb room, but he shouted out before Treyguard said anything, before I stepped in and said, where am I or anything? And because... It was a bomb room and it was a surprise. They had to just go with it and mm -hmm. film the room as we did. And we, when we finished, it was like, do not say anything until he's entered the room. And he got quite a telling off and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, they, they were told the same as us because they saw it for about four seconds before we started. Yeah. 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 Just for our listeners, Jason's currently holding up what I assume is original artwork. This is David Rowe's original bomb artwork for the bomb room, which was painted separately of the room. And as you can see, it's got the word 
bomb on it. And at the bottom, yeah, it's got do not use. <laughs> and the reason for that is interesting. This was never used because of the word bomb, because they were worried that for foreign sales of the show, if the word bomb was in the room, it wouldn't translate if it was French or Spanish or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's why this oh. was never used. That's an interesting. Well, we, but they were happy to sell it to foreign audiences with <laughs> pictures of it actually blowing children to pieces. Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> There's no problem with that. Yeah, it's okay, just the word bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've joked about the bomb before like because we danger mouse yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm it's no no real secret that i'm not a fan of the bomb rooms in general and part of it is the cartoonish look of the bomb and we've actually joked about it having the word bomb written on it before oh really we? well, it, well yeah. it actually it actually did, it actually did. There you are. <laughs> that's it that's and do not use the production team wrote that on and then sent it back to david and that's who I got it from, um, because of because it had. I mean, it's got splatters all over it because this is original art yeah. that he did. But mm. um, it would need to have said "bomb" in French or "bomb" in Spanish or if, whatever else. If, so if, it, if it would have been a problem. If it had said something like two thousand pounds or something like that, would that have got through? Do you mm. think? Uh, you know, because I don't know. Um, You'd have to ask Mr. Child. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him. I, I like the bomb rooms because um, they called them hurry ups, and they were mm. rooms to sort of make the viewers and the team playing the game sort of sit up and pay attention a bit because it got oh, into a bit of a lull. And then there was like bomb, bomb, bomb. It made everybody sort of go and pay attention, viewer, viewers as well, and that's what they were for. Yeah, um, yeah. So then your whole team starts <laughs> yeah. talking at once. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, I can't understand what you want me to do. And it's stop, go, stop, go. It's like, yeah. what? It's not the concept we've got a problem with. It's it's just the way it was done. It it, it does look mm. very silly with that gigantic danger mouse thing sort of dangling yeah. yes. there and the fuse growing well, backwards and going forwards and growing backwards and going forwards. Aren't there lots of things that yeah. look very silly? You yeah. know, like the bog-eyed monster with two, you know, thousands, hundreds of, at the end of the day, it's a fantasy world. It can yeah. be whatever they like, yeah. can't yeah. it? You yeah. know? But that that really does does veer towards sort of Roadrunner cartoons, that sort of thing. Where maybe just <laughs> maybe, even just having the bomb just sitting on the floor rather than dangling in midair would have would have made more sense. And mm. it, it would it would have been easier to sort of buy into it. So it's it's not it's not actually the concept. The concept is fine. It's just it, the way it was done could have been yeah. Could well, there were lots of stories yeah. with a lot of the rooms, the original rooms that David painted, mm -hmm. of which there's maybe 50 for the first two and a half series, three series. The original art for some of them is quite is quite fundamentally different to the end result. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you can see on, on some of the stuff I've got where the, the planning of the room changed. The, the dragon room or the crocodile room is probably the most important one of those because crocodile. it just looks, it, it looks like a crocodile. Nobody can argue it looks, doesn't look like a crocodile. It looks like a crocodile. It does. And, um, and, and the original idea with the dragon is much, I think, my personal opinion only, better than that version. And, and that's the, the case with quite a lot of the rooms. They change quite fundamentally from what they were initially thought to be and then what they ended up being. But do we think the bomb room would have looked more convincing um, in, in its original form? And if it would, why didn't they stick with it? Difficult to tell, really. I mean, when they're, when they're being presented with, you know, we've got to make a dungeon of, of whatever, I don't know if the first series, 30 rooms-ish, very quickly. And, and David Rowe used to work through the night. Mm. He used to work till like two in the morning. 
for like weeks in order to get these done on time yeah so the pressure was intensely high and in those Mm. days it was all by fax so i uh, tim would send a scamp like an a4 which which tim had drawn with a marker pen of roughly what the room would look like fax it to david david would then do an a4 version of what he thought tim's scamp was meant to be fax Mm. it back and tim would say yes or he'd draw all over it again and then david would do it and that was the case. That's how, how quickly the first dungeon had to be made because yeah. they were so tight yeah. the schedule yeah. that David yeah. really worked the bone to get those dungeon rooms done for that first series. It wasn't so bad later on, apparently. This is what I've been told by David. Um, but the first season, short, the first series was very close to the bone in terms of that. And, and he did a wonderful job on it, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. Not criticising David Rowe. It is just that one room that we've got an issue with. Well, I tell you what, Martin, here's a personal challenge mm. for you. Okay. Since you know better uh, than <laughs> David Rowe about the bomb room, let's see what you come up with for a design for it. Oh, uh, that's the thing. I, that's the thing. I don't... <laughs> That's the, it, I, I don't think I could. Oh dear! In oh all dear. honesty. Oh well, there um, you are. <laughs> I, I've, deci- I've decided I'm, I'm out of this part of the conversation now. I've, done, I've, okay. decided, I've decided to maintain a dignified silence from this point on. Okay, so okay, how about how about a room with a ceiling full of spikes and the spikes are slowly going down? That would be interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think, didn't they do one like that? Um, in one of the later seasons, in fact. Oh, did they? I can't, I can't remember. Maybe they did. I can't actually, remember. Yeah. They they might have been able to it on was... a later season. I think an earlier did. one. It might have been a bit challenging. Yeah. That's true. Technology wise. So the one where the where the roof came down. I don't think it had spikes on it, but they did have one where the roof came down. I think yeah. it was series four. Mm. I think. Yeah. I th- mm. Yes, it was. Um, it was one of the door chambers, wasn't it? Um, they had this. Yes. They, they added an overlay. Um, and if, yes. you, if you didn't get get to the door, the um the door get get the door monster to open quickly enough. It would probably yes. you. I think I think that was it. Um, but oh, yeah, not... yeah, I remember that. And I think going back to the bombs, there's there's only that type of bomb that you could actually do it as because of the age in which it's meant to be set. Mm. You know, you couldn't have one with wires. Well, it was never called a bomb room. No, ever. No. It's been called a bomb room by dungeoneers and by all of us. But actually, it was never called that. It was always referred to as a mine. It was chamber yeah, mine. Chamber mines. Yeah, chamber mine. It was yeah. never referred to as a bomb ever by Traeger. Mm. And of course, um, a landmine is it would be completely uh, <laughs> uh, anachronistic. Yeah, a, yes. a landmine. Would be completely... <laughs> Why do we always have trouble pronouncing that word? A landmine would be very anachronistic um, if you're trying to set mm. it in a 12th century dungeon. So, yeah, besides yes. an ice pack. Yes. Yeah. Well, well they were. They, I don't think they, they didn't really mind about sort of moving bits of time when it suited them. That's true. Yeah. That's no, true. I think the dungeon kind of exists at every time. If you see what I, I mean. agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I yeah. don't think there was an, a real attempt to say, okay, this dungeon is set in 1364. It no. was never clear, clear cut. Yeah. It was always a medievalish dungeon, but there were always elements and references made by characters that would have would have no relevance to that time period if it was set all those years ago so i don't think there was i don't ever really mattered it's a fantasy world it's not a historical documentary mm. um so i don't think it necessarily matters yeah. it's what we've referred to on the podcast as the pineapple paradox oh yes of course because you would never have had a pineapple no it's a temperate no. zone <laughs> yes <laughs> also would you have had a pint of milk 
in a bottle. Uh, it would have been a flagon of milk at the most. I'd have thought, yeah. 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 So. yeah. That was an interesting one because I don't think anyone else actually uh, encountered milk, did they? Not that I can remember. Not that uh, I remember. No. I think it depended what the canteen had. Yeah. Because actually, <laughs> half of those things were just taken from the canteen. Were they? Mm. All right, okay. Some of them, some of them yes. Oh. Not all of them. Some of them were plastic and, and you know, fake. Yeah. But so when it was real food, some of it was just from the canteen. I'm pretty sure mm. of that. Um, so mm. maybe it was a real apple that um, would sometimes get put in the knapsack then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Real loaf of bread. The pie was real, I think, that... Mildred was saying about collie wobble pie. I think that was a real pie. I remember seeing it on the table afterwards. And the plate was definitely from the canteen because it was just a 1970s porcelain plate that it was on. Porcelain, that's another thing that probably was. You know, it wasn't there. on it, it wasn't it wasn't on a lead <laughs> platter or anything. You know, they weren't they didn't mind about things like that. Yeah. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to say to be critical and you know. The, the the basis is it's a kids show it's fun it's fantasy mm. does it really matter probably not no, it doesn't matter um, really. did it spoil the show i don't think so i loved it i think it, it was for me I don't know fantasy is the same one of the best experiences of my life and i loved everything about it definitely yeah. very grateful to to the team for, mm. for choosing us to do it yeah and it's the reason i went into television it's the the entire reason that formed my career it's definitely something that i um you know when you do conferences and things like that and you get to meet people always oh, tell them an interesting fact about yourself that is it and the amount of conversation that comes from that is amazing i think nightmare is a lot more famous and a lot more popular than the, the general media um idea of it is the media always seem to talk about it as if it's a bit of a forgotten gem of the past i, I think a lot more people remember it than they realize in the media i think that's true because of course back then you only had four channels well three or four channels so the number of people yeah. who would see any program on one of those four channels was huge yeah. in comparison to, to today yeah. you know with nightmare was getting seven million viewers you know commissioners can only dream of that now with most television shows Absolutely. it would never happen yeah. so the amount of people mm. that grew up with nightmare is far more than the number of people who are now going to grow up with love island or whatever show because the amount the percentage amount that saw it was much much bigger yes and that will never happen again and so therefore people of our age a little bit older and a little bit younger they will all know about it even if they don't remember its name because sometimes i find anthony that if you say if i say nightmare they don't understand but if you say it was a kid show one wore a one wore a bucket on his head and it was dungeons and dragons they go oh yeah i love that show. Yeah. um <laughs> And that is exactly the description that everyone gets, yes. isn't it? One war with buttons yeah. head. And they're like, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, Martin Adoni, I think you're right. A lot of people remember it far more than is... Possibly mm. even possibly even imaginable yeah. to a modern day twenty five year old yeah. journalist I'm, now. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking in terms. It's, it's actually yeah. older journalists. I'm thinking of a lot of the journalists. Um, you, you remember the sort of the nostalgia boom in the early two thousands, which Nightmare was a part of. Um, there were shows um, Dewey like um, the hundred greatest kids TV shows. Nightmare got sixteenth in that. Um, I think that genuinely shocked um, the people who were making it because they were talking about it as though it was, as though nobody knew what it was, um, and, and they're talking in terms of you may have, you may not remember this thing at all. The experience I get is if you look at Nightmare Live; it's all it, the audience is always packed out. You know, they're, they're having mm. to turn customers mm. away for it. So mm. um, it's it's clear that it's it is it is still a huge um, a hugely well remembered phenomenon. Um, yeah, that. That whole list was messed up anyway, oh, yeah. to be fair. They put, the, they put The Simpsons at number one. Yeah. That's not a kid's show. Yeah, the, those, those, the journalists from no. that sort of time were, were, were thinking in terms of classic TV, they're thinking, 
Bagpuss or um, Top mm. Cat, things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, and they were thinking things like Nightmare. Well, they look that looks really rubbish now because it's using hand-drawn images. Um, it, it might have looked um, unconvincing today, but it, it, was, it was something you could really immerse yourself in in a way you couldn't with any other TV mm. programme. It's something I hope they, as much as I'd like to see what they would do with it if they remade it now, I hope it's something they mm. never mm. do. I really hope it's something they never do because it will never have that magic to it, that spark that Nightmare had. Mm. Yeah. It really drew you into it. And I think anything they would do with it now, technologically or whatever, to improve it, I don't think it would it would actually work. There is something weird about it. The fact that the backgrounds are very obviously drawn, um, it, it really emphasises the idea of two different realities converging. Um, and I actually think the way the, the way that computer graphics today are indistinguishable from the real world, you would actually lose that element um, if they made it in a modern program. Whereas if they tried to make it in the same style as it was in the old days, no TV company would be prepared to invest in it. No, of course they wouldn't. Mm. It's very difficult to think of a way that it would work today. We're always thinking of ways, is there a way we can bring back Nightmare? A lot, a lot of us have been doing that for a long time. But um, I was very much in favour of bringing it back in the early 2000s, but I have sort of drifted away from that since then. Right, so that seems like a decent place to kind of start rounding things up, I think. Jason, last time we spoke to you, you had plenty of projects going, none of which you could actually talk about. The same thing applies. <laughs> <laughs> It was nice talking to you, Jason. See ya. <laughs> Unfortunately, in my world of television and theme park rides, uh, it's all down to confidentiality. All I will say is that in this horrible world that we've all been living in in the last year and a half, I've been lucky that I've managed to carry on working to some degree. And I'm very grateful to that. And I am lucky enough to be doing things. I just can't tell you what they are. <laughs> He's a spy for Lord Fear. I've been telling you for ages. He's a spy for Lord Fear. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, did you want to tell us a little bit about Safe in Our World? Um, yeah, so uh, Safe in the World is a charity. It's just over a year old. So it's very, very in its infancy, um, but has grown beyond our belief really. So it's a charity that was made for the games industry for mental health. A lot of people within the games industry suffer with mental health. There's huge um, sort of deadlines and, and pressures within that industry. Um, and a lot of people really suffer with it. So uh, the it was actually created by the guys that run um, Wired Productions, an indie uh, company. Um, they, they very much have this passion for mental health and wanting to um, improve it within the world. Um, they've all got, uh, it sounds quite strange to say, but they've all got their own personal stories where they've dealt, dealt with um, mental health issues and things like that. So it's really close to their heart. Um, I work, I've worked quite closely with Wired Productions for quite a while um, and just sort of got involved with Safe in Our World through that. Um, so it's a charity that basically what we do is we, uh, it hasn't really started raising too much money at the moment. Um, it's just getting going with that. But we've been we've been really lucky. We've had some game blasts and things like that where um, they have raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for the charity. So what we do is we are raising awareness for mental health within the games industry and also people that play games. Um, why do we play games? It's kind of like an escape for most people. Um, and that's... That's a good thing, you know, this horrible world that we live in. 
especially over the last year or so, has been absolutely horrendous. There would be a lot of people that wouldn't have managed it if they didn't have gaming in some description. Um, so it's not just for the people within the industry, it's for people that enjoy the games that the industry produces. Um, they do great things like um, lots of mental health first aid courses and things like that for the people within the industry so that they can um, look out for their teams and see, spot the danger signs as to where people are suffering and that type of thing. So it's, it's doing a lot of good already. Um, it's only in its infancy, as I said, but um, growing all the time. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. The website is safeinourworld.org and it's full of mental health stories from mm. ambassadors like myself and the teams that have created this and also lots and lots of information on where to go for help, who, who you can talk to and, and what help you can get. Um, we also have sort of Discord channels and um, game nights and things like that, all just trying to bring a bit of light into the world, I think. And can people donate through the website? Yes, they can donate through the website. And there are lots of streamers and things always doing little charity streams and things like that to, mm. to help raise money. So, um, and every single penny goes towards running these courses and making sort of awareness out there. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us today. And thank you for Stuart Leverland also for adding his voice at the beginning. Just to add a reminder to everybody, um, any Patreon donations we get for this particular podcast will go to Safe in Our World. So it's well worth making the donation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And we will try and sort you both out with some temporal discussion T-shirts as well. Yeah. <laughs> not a bribe, not a bribe. But yeah. be nice about this and really promote this podcast, please. <laughs> anyway, I'll send you a picture of me in it. Thanks for inviting me. Once I'd completed my dungeon and everything, the next year we went back and we saw Tim Child in his house. We were invited to his house. And I took along, this is the reason why we were invited, I took along a board game that I'd created of Nightmare that was much, much better <laughs> than the board game they released. Um, it was like a 3D room that you oh, slotted that sounds, in walls that and floors and things to it. And, um, and it worked really, really well. I'll have to see yeah. if I can rem remember mm. as much about it as possible and try and remake it. But he, um, he, he was so apologetic that he couldn't use it because they had just signed about mm. three months before than the the MV oh, board yeah. game. What a shame. <laughs> well, lads, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege, except for you, Mr. H. Um, of course. <laughs> it's from the four of us, it's been an absolute privilege to speak to you mm -hmm. too. Um, <laughs> and it's been typical talking to him. So before we go, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Nightmare Pod. Jason and Anthony, have you got any social media links you'd like to plug? No. I hate social media. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Zoom. Can't stand Zoom. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'm Antake um, at uh, Twitter, at Antake, um, H-A-I-G-H. Uh, yeah, follow me, that's fine. It's, I'm, I'm quite open to chatting with people. If anyone wants to talk about Nightmare, I'll talk about it forever. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at NightmarePod. 
and we'll do the patron shout out keeper of the book of quests is david n rabbit advisors peter falsford peter sidon and Stuart Leatherland, and dungeoneer david thompson so you can support us at dungeoneer level or above to get your name mentioned on the podcast our website is nightmarepod.co.uk and just keep telling yourself it's only a podcast isn't it Hey there, listeners of Illusion. We want to do a special episode about what Nightmare means to the fans. With that in mind, we decided to put together a competition. All you have to do to be in with a chance of winning is to send us a voice recording telling us some of your fondest memories of the show and what it means to you. You can either send your recordings by email to podcast at nightmarepod.co.uk using the subject Nightmare Memories, or you can send us a voice message through our Spotify page. Please note that whilst we'll accept recordings of any length by email, Spotify voice messages are limited to one minute long. We'll pick our favourites and play them on the podcast and one entry chosen at random will win the grand prize. A complete set of the official Nightmare Choose Your Own Adventure books by Dave Morris, including the very rare Lord Fears Domain. A physical copy of Peter Pulsford's unofficial book Nightmare Live, The File of Freedom. A book containing copies of the first nine issues of the Eye Shield, thanks to Paul McIntosh for granting us permission. The Nightmare Live Handbook, a limited edition book given only to backers of the original Nightmare Live Kickstarter campaign. And to top it off, we'll be sending you a signed photo of Nightmare actress Natasha Pope. The closing date for the competition is August the 31st. Any entries received after that will not be eligible to win, but may still be used in the podcast. Please be aware that the Dave Morris books have been sourced from various second-hand sellers, and whilst they're all complete, there's a certain amount of wear and tear. Quite frankly, the fact we managed to get a copy of Lord Fizz Domain that didn't already have the puzzles filled in is nothing short of amazing. We look forward to hearing from you, and good luck! Good luck!